This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. calls for aid and Brog shall answer Amandine welcome back to like the beacons of Lotro podcast focusing on low-tech microphones subpar sound effects and slipshod editing oh and did I mention a little game called Lotro and all things Tolkien this is episode number 49 and I am your host Brag of the Lonely Mountain the Sultan of Shield Swipe the Earl of Agro Thoughtful friend and dwarf of ill repute. I'm broadcasting live tonight from temporary Light the Beacons Middle Earth wide headquarters at the Heligrod Treasury. What is the view from the Heligrod Treasury? Looking west towards the Brunin Source North, there are rock faces to my right and the left. I can see some corcoran traveling about, uh, some draklings, some snow beasts. There's a windswept, uh, slanted plateau rising from my left and off to, up and to my right and I can see additional snowy mountains in the distance uh, there's a light wind and snow blowing down about me tonight and uh, this is certainly no place for a chicken those of you who have tried to do the crosser of roads title know that you must get a chicken to the top of the bitter stairs and this is one of the most dangerous portions of that journey uh, the one that you really can't afford to do without some sort of escort uh, when I look at Heligrod and the Bitter Stairs, it just goes to show one thing. Boy, dwarves will build crap anywhere. <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter much when most of it is underground. Um, so let me explain a bit why we have been so long without broadcasting. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of everything getting in the way. Uh, I've had uh, some material ready to go through with you for quite a few weeks. It's always one thing or another. I uh, had a project manager working with me on the Moria remodel, and uh, he quit unexpectedly with very short notice, and I had to step in and take on his duties. So it's been a mass of spreadsheets and meetings. I've been hiring goat trainers. I've been repurposing grad bug infestations, doing fungus removal. And would, you would not believe how much asbestos we found in the Flaming Deeps. I'm sure it seemed prudent at the time, but it's it's a big problem now. And on top of that, there's lead pipes in the law, in the waterworks. So it's been a, a lot of late evenings, a lot of weekend work, and uh, with family time on top of that, taking care of the little dwarflings, there has not been a lot of time to podcast. Um, there has been time to play some Lotro, though, so while we'll talk about that in a little bit. Jeez, it's probably been four or five weeks uh, that's been since I talked to you. So in any event, the Moria remodel is going to take some time. Uh, but maybe I'll address that in a future episode, talk about some of the plans for it. For now, I think we should get on to our second beacon. 
We arrived at Elinok. It's good to be back, but as usual, first we deal with a lot of CRAP corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. So last week we offended uh, no because we didn't podcast, and maybe that is the secret to all this, um, not offending somebody. Uh, last month we, we actually offended anyone that likes to view a podcast more often than uh, once in a blue moon, and look, I know you're not viewers, but... For all of you that were offended, I offer a very solemn and heartfelt sorry. Uh, moving on to viewer comments. iTunes reviews. I am over in 2016. If you want to join this illustrious vacuum of reviewers, then continue to do absolutely nothing. Uh, LTB.com comments. The silence out there is deafening. And in the Twitter sphere, you got to tweet them for me to read them. So it's been a dearth of input. Hoping to change that soon. Of course, uh, me doing my part of the bargain will help. Community Spotlight. A chance to pawn a wonderful uh, Lonely Mountain Band concert in front of the Prancing Pony last week. It's one of the greatest aspects of being on Landerville. Anytime you go through Bree, the South Gate, the West Gate, and uh, and front of the Prancing Pony, all likely to have performances on and going at any given time. And it is fun to take a break and smell the flowers and listen to some of those songs upon occasion. Uh, Forums, Forums Insider. Forums been filled with discussion about uh, the performance issues and the measures being taken to try to address those, as well as the, rec- as, well as the recent announcement by Turbine uh, that they don't intend to plan to continue to move forward with uh, EU servers at this point in time. Doesn't say it'll never happen. Says for now, uh, they feel like there'll be more bang for the buck and potentially early return. Um, by continuing to enhance the the servers that all the games are running on right now in the U.S., heard some speculation, especially from Burton and Scrooge, that uh, you know recent legislation in the EU uh, might be affecting the uh, decision not to do business there. I think it, as far as I know, I, I don't know a lot of games that have. Um, uh, you know what the server setups are for the norm. Um, I imagine there are some that take this approach, and a lot of others that have uh, more commonly European servers to service their players. The interesting part to me is, you know, obviously after the announcement came out, there's a, a number of people uh, announcing that this is their last straw. Um, I still te- tend to think that on the forums we hear from the people obviously that are most discontented and have the largest problems. I think there are a large number of people, and this is an assumption by my part, tell me if I'm wrong, in the UK that probably are experiencing acceptable for performance or perhaps improving performance from the data center consolidations. I know there's a lot of people out there for which it's an untenable situation that's very unfortunate. <laughs> Um, but it's difficult to take their comments at face value because you never know what is the source of the particular issue that they might be facing. Is it their particular connection? Is it their particular setup? I know people say, look, I run all kinds of modern games, no any problems, I only have a problem with Lotro. You know, but that can still be something in your configuration and setup that's impacting the way Lotro runs. Doesn't necessarily make it a turbine problem. A lot of times it could be. I'm not apologizing for turbine, not trying to cover up for them. I am willing to give them a chance to continue to uh, improve performance, and hopefully that will take into account acceptable performance for most of the users in the UK. Uh, would be a shame to lose any of those folks. They are certainly a strong point of our community. Um, 
That being said, I would say my performance is steadily improving uh, due to the adjustments that are being made. Not having many issues. I think you know once or twice I was in some large scale kind of warband parties with uh, you know maybe 50 mobs on the screen or in a heavy heavy PvP combat where I did degrade a little bit to a slideshow, but. I somewhat expect that. I'm intrigued by Turbine's comments that they may be able to improve the PvP aspects of uh, of the gameplay at this stage of our development. So I'm um, very interested in what they've discovered that might lead them to be able to improve that aspect of the game. Uh, the fact that they're even mentioning it to me makes me believe that uh, it might be somewhat realistic. So uh, there is some server downtime planned for tomorrow morning for server maintenance. Let's see what comes of it, and hopefully the situation will continue to improve for all. What else is going on? Uh, not much. In this week's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in-game this past month or so. We'll take a look at the latest Lotro class I have managed to steer to level 100. We will revisit our now ongoing series, Drunk Middle-Earth Lore Chapter 2. And lastly, if, we, if any time remaining, we'll pad out our runtime with useless and boring filler material. So with that, let's move on to our third beacon. Nardal, this week in gaming and or other Tokian news, uh, there's not been much love lately for DDO, Secret World, or Marvel Heroes. Um, I have been playing Clash of Clans, continuing to play Clash of Clans. I have to say the new treasury feature that they introduced to the game allows measured progress for active players and allows you to feel like you're advancing uh, your village. So I do applaud that. I did recently complete all the, I forget what level it is, all the wall upgrades that get... Uh, get you from purple crystal to um, the little skull top features and those were expensive it took a long time I think they're five hundred thousand a piece <laughs> uh, so I was averaging maybe a couple a week at best and over that amount of time it took months to get all the upgrades in place but uh, starting to make some more progress now and uh, recently completed minion and hog rider upgrades uh, for 40k dark elixir a pop uh, unfortunately, Hog Riders, you have to get to level 5 to get that, that orange mohawk, which looks so awesome. Uh, so that one is uh, still out there yet to come. But uh, level 4 Hog Riders, a big improvement, and I use minions a lot, so glad to see those upgraded as well. Uh, Star Trek Online, I think I logged in once to check my duty officers. Not much going uh, apart from that at this point. I did advance Bart Batman Arkham Asylum a bit. I've now faced off with Poison Ivy and heading towards a confrontation with Killer Croc, which should be a big baddie. Uh, about halfway, coming up on halfway in the game overall, percentage complete in story mode, if the metrics is, is accurate. Uh, I am enjoying the game. It's a good level of challenge. Can be frustrating some of the setups where you have to. Everyone's armed with machine guns. You have to take out a full room using uh, guile and sneaking up on people from behind. Uh, it takes a lot of patience. You can't, you know, if you take out three or four guys, you get impatient waiting for the last one to be kind of off on his own, so you can land behind him and get him without noticing. It can be frustrating if he turns around right at the wrong moment. You have to start over from scratch. But in general, I'm finding a good level of challenge in that game and uh, and some fun gameplay. Um, let me see. Humble Bundle Alert. Why did I write that? I think I bought another game uh, on Steam sale. I'm trying to remember what it is, though. It's not coming to be right now. Um, smaller game. Decently priced. 
And when the name comes to me, I'll let you know uh, if I try it out. Uh, I did download um, a tablet game called Star Wars Hero based on the Burton and Scrooge recommendation. A rather polished uh, user interface, sci-fi turn-based game. It's uh, fun for a try. Uh, don't imagine I'll ever spend money on it. And uh, given that, I imagine it will, you know, Probably only hold my interest for a few weeks, but in the meantime, it is kind of fun for now. Level up some characters and take on folks. I have to say, they make you almost indestructible in the early going. Um, you know, there is, isn't a single fight that I've lost to date. And, uh, you know, I guess they're trying to encourage people to play and not get discouraged. But I also think if you're never dying, that the gameplay is not complex enough or difficult or challenging enough at this stage. I'm sure it'll change as I advance uh, over another couple weeks. All right, what is going on in Lotro? Well, first of all, Bragg used the new emote collections panel to uh, to try to track down some of the emotes in game that somehow I'd missed from time to time. All the ones that are earnable in game anyway. And I was looking through, and I noticed. Um, a number of emotes that I didn't have, which I was surprised at. And the first one is Dwarf Dance 2. How could I, a quintessential dwarf, never have acquired Dwarf Dance 2, which is available in Thorns Hall? So as the Winter Festival was going on, I headed over there and filled that slot in my bar. Um, then, uh, based on the collection panel input, I had made my way down to Enidwaith, to Hendirian where I uh, had enough tokens to buy the golf drive and golf putt emotes. And then I realized that there is a vendor in Lanark, the other Enidwaith uh, center of the local clans people, that had several emotes that I had never even noticed before, including Sneeze, Tickle, and Man Dance 3. And in order to acquire all those emotes, I had to, actually had to generate some tokens because I was out. Um, so I did earn some co tokens by soloing some uh, Thror's Comb Serpent Hall runs. If you go up to Nars Peak and get uh, all the Th Thror's Comb Serpent Hall run quests, you can pick up like six or seven at a time, sweep that through that area, which at level 100 is pretty easy, killing giants and dragons and guibers. Oh my! And uh, earning tokens, and then you can trade those in at Hondurian or Lanark for the emotes that you may be missing from those two particular vendors. So that was rewarding. Um, you can also do the repeatables at Ashad Saradan, but I think the ones at Nars Peak, because of their uh, concentration, are probably the easiest to acquire. Um, and you can do some great deed grinding at the same time if you haven't finished off your Gwyber deed in that area. Uh, interestingly enough, as I dropped into Nars Peak to pick up these quests, um, there was a ring over the head of um, of the other helper dwarf in there that gives you the quest. I forget his name right now. Um, with a quest called uh, Checking on an Old Friend, which I had not seen previously. Somehow I missed this one. So apparently this is a quest that uh, is... Um, I guess, uh, established at some point when you finish off the Isengard content and the Grey Company parts ways and decide to turn, you know, some of them decide to turn north and return the bodies of their countrymen to Eriador. And, um, 
after Saruman's comments about uh, checking, you know, the danger of Nars Peak and what he did there, um, you basically get to go talk to the dwarves there, and they're like, oh, I haven't seen you in a while. Thanks for checking in. And, and they ask you about the fate of Coronir, and you share with him uh, the bad news there, and uh, you can finish a deed just by talking to the dwarves and achieving the title of Thoughtful Friend for going back to visit them after that content is done. So something I had missed. Uh, I'm not sure if the quest doesn't strongly point you there or if I just kind of obliviously missed it. But if you've finished uh, Isengard and Saruman has been dealt with, um, you can return. And the Great Company has uh, parted ways and turned to the north. You can return to Norse Peak and acquire the title of Thoughtful Friend rather easily. So, from the Emote Collections panel, what else am I missing? Uh, one or two Hobnanigans emotes and the ability to juggle. So the one or two Hobnanigans emotes I may never acquire. <laughs> I think I bought one of them with the tokens that I generated while I was becoming um, a Hobnanigans All-Star. I think I talked about this in a previous episode, but it's been so long I may have missed it. So, yes... Uh, in case I neglected to mention it the last time out, I finally caved in and decided uh, that I couldn't take that one reputation bar being uh, not filled <laughs> for my character. And uh, I sat one winter festival when I was working from home and doing some other things on a weekend where I was at my computer. And I logged in and I sat on the Hebnanigans field and occasionally I participated in games with other people. And other times I just sat there and consumed all six flags myself and I had reputation boosters on and I ground out the reputation and tokens to earn Hobnanigans All-Star. And now all my reputation bars finally on brag are open again. And I don't mind if they open new ones for regions where I can complete them from questing, but I hope they never establish another reputation bar as useless as Hobnanigan's uh, reputation or the Eld Gang, because somehow I know I'm going to find my way to having to fill it at some point in time. So yes, I'm a Hobnanigan's All-Star. I earned enough tokens to buy at least one emote. And I think the recipe, um, if you didn't know, there is one recipe up there that you can buy to give if you have a cook. Uh, it's called the Feast of Anorian, and uh, you can create a table that opens up where everybody at that table who feasts, anyone can come to it for a period of 10 to 15 minutes and feast at it, and they gain a buff, which I think is like either plus 5 or plus 10% incoming healing. So you can use it on your whole raid, uh, which is, uh, you know, I think worthwhile. Uh, if you have the token saved up, it's a, it's one of the few things that you can do with Hobnanigan's rewards that will earn you, um, you know, an actual viable buff that you can use in-game for, for other content. So uh, take a look for that. That's one of the vendors that is just uh, east of the fields, I think, up the hill, uh, almost towards the, uh, the freeze tag um, zones. So in any event, uh, the last emote that I can see myself earning uh, in-game is the juggle emote. And yes, this is the one that you supposedly earn by having your character laughed at either, I don't know, 100, 150 times. And there is a cap on the number you can earn per day. I think it's 7, 10, 15, something like that. I, I've looked it up in the past. And I realized I did not have the ability to juggle. And so... Uh, over a month ago, probably more like two months almost, I started logging in on my main character, and every time I did, I tried to get some people to laugh at me. 
at least 10, 15 times. And uh, sometimes I traded laughs, sometimes I did funny tricks for them and then requested it of them. Most people happy to oblige, especially our peers in and around Brie or the Winter Festival. Uh, but geez, I must have started at zero somehow. I don't know how I could play this game for seven, eight years and have like almost nobody laugh at me during all that time. Because I, I swear for like every day for like a couple weeks I was getting laughed at in game and uh, and I still don't have the title. Um, so someone told me you can laugh at other NPCs to earn it. So I've been doing that first just to try to prove that out. And then I have people laugh at me just to make sure I'm not missing the boat on it. I've got to be close. I don't, either that or I'm bugged. So I'm going to keep at it for another couple weeks. And if I still don't have it by that point in time, uh, I think I'm going to have to call a game master and ask him what the heck is up. Uh, it's the last of the earnable kind of repeat remotes. Uh, you know, I've got Fire Breath, I've got Sword Salute, I've got Hero Pose, and uh, I can't juggle. Maybe Dwarves were born without the de natural dexterity to juggle. Maybe that's it. So aside from that, Bragg has been doing Minas Tirith dailies, uh, which if you do the Cisterns and the Southern Ramas, you can earn up to six Scrolls of Empowerment per day doing those. Uh, generally speaking, I think the cisterns are a pain in the neck because of the withering tree guys. So I've been doing just the southern uh, Ramas uh, Echor deeds, and uh, that, that one's quick and easy. There's a lot of people in there, so it's pretty easy to slog your way through it pretty quickly. And what do I like about this? Um, so I am getting tired of the instance, that's for sure, but I'm getting adept at it, and I can do it fairly quickly. And what I like about it is that, yes, it's a big grind across multiple tunes, across multiple legendary items to max out all your tiers. You know, most times you're going to get into the game with a tier level between 30 and 35 on your LI, uh, depending on what it was at before you imbued it. And I think the top level you can get to without Mythic Coins is 44. So that's, you know, call that, I don't know, 10 to 15 Scrolls of Empowerment per tier times seven if you have a crystal of remembrance right so that's 70 and 105 scrolls of empowerment across two weapons at least so that's 210 per tune so i've got uh, six level 100s now <laughs> so you do the math we're talking hundreds of scrolls for empowerment to max out everybody but what i do like about it is this um, you can make small measured progress that is reasonable. So I don't have to wait until I get all, you know, 75 scrolls for a tune before I see the benefit. Each scroll that I apply allows me to better some skill, you know, a small percentage, but a percentage. And uh, so you can see yourself making incremental progress in a reasonable modicum of time, not one big payoff at the end of a limitless grind. So this is probably as it should have been when it came out, and I think they're having the desired effect from reducing the cost of the scrolls of empowerment. Um, they no longer go for hundreds of gold on the auction house like they did previously. Okay. As a matter of fact, if you're willing to earn them and sell them to other people, have been seeing people sell them for you know 30 to 40 gold, and seeing as how you can get three of them in uh, you know 15 to 20 minutes, maybe um, that's a pretty good return on investment if you can find a sucker, I mean a buyer, willing to take them off your hands. So. Uh, since we talked, 17.2 came out, and I tried the new Sandbrog run with uh, Bragg. Yes, it is a little tougher than it was before. Not much, but a little. But still, I was able to tank it with a four-man run in redline mode. 
Um, so that tells me it's pro probably not tough enough. You know, you need some game, some runs in the game which are easy and quick and brainless. So I'm okay with it. But if they were trying to make it tougher, I shouldn't be able to tank it in red line with a four-man group. Um, so let's not carry it. Get carried away about how hard it got. The loot seemed different on it, but um, I got nothing great. So I don't, I don't know. I only ran it once or twice. Can't comment more about that. Uh, have been running around with a few tunes doing plaques around Minas Tirith from the, the new release. Um, and the comment I have about this is it's a challenge keeping track of it across multiple tunes. Which plaques did I click on? Which did I not? They really need to go back and uh, light up the ones that are still to be, uh, to be discovered by each tune. Uh, so that when it's blinking, you know you haven't covered it yet. And when you've covered it, it stops blinking. And you know you've got it. You don't have to go back. The way they have it implemented right now, you know, I could click on the same one a hundred times because I'm not going to keep a spreadsheet on each one that I've done and the ones that I have outstanding for each tune. It's ridiculous. So that's something they need to work on. Uh, my Bjorning level 90 has been questing around Middle Meeg, Mead, uh, my Minstrel level 100 uh, did a tier 2 challenge of the Sunken Labyrinth, trying to earn her class trait point, finishing up the Osgiliath quest line. And this is the first time I've done a tier 2 challenge of the Sunken Labyrinth, believe it or not. just hasn't been called on for much. And, um, you know, what happens is, I learned, is that in tier 2 challenge mode, there's a race timer to get um, to kill a certain number of culvert slugs, and in order to kill that certain number of culvert slugs, you have to get uh, you know past like the second boss in the instance um, to get to the area where the final ones are that you need to get the tier two challenge. Um, so they're after the first bo base, uh, the first boss fight, and basically the timer is such that you have to do it uh, fairly quickly. It's basically, uh, and any wipe or any one of, of a certain character dying preventing you from moving forward, you're going to lose the challenge. So you have to be kind of perfect. You have to be aggressive, running through areas and scooping up multiple foes, um, you know, and really pressing forward and not waiting. Um, so I have a problem. They've done instances like this in the past. The Grand Stairs is the one that comes to mind that had this mechanic. Uh, but uh, in the party we were at, we were having trouble. Um, particularly the troll bosses who come. They have a stun on you that's very long and causes a cave-in. And if you're a squishy clash, you can get killed by it. Uh, you can fear them away until you're ready to deal with them, but not permanently uh, because your cooldown timer won't be down by the time they come back. So depending on the class makeup you have, you may or may not be able to CC them effectively. And when they do get you, um, it's going to cause a death if you're not careful. And one death and you lose challenge mode. And, and basically if you're with people that are there for the Morgul Crest, they're going to want to start over. So um, so that's a difficult one. And I think that's why we don't see too many people running it in 2-2 challenge. Unless they're with an established group that knows the drill and knows exactly what they're doing. Uh, so it's not very puggable from my experience. Um Comment to my minstrel, I am seeing occasionally some minstrels in the game uh, with close to 40,000 morale. And uh, my minstrel is a modest 24,000 or so, which I think is okay. It's not spectacular. It's not terrible. It's, it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, and some of these minis I've seen running around with 40k health, I inspected them. And, uh, of course, they've all got the, I think it's four or five slot Osgiliath gear on. And uh, I counted up, uh, they had collected at least, on um, one tune I saw, 
28, more than 28 supreme essences of morale stacked on top of one tune. And I think the supreme essence of morale has like 875 morale on it or something like that. So, so that explains, you know, a good 24,000 worth of the health that they have. Uh, so they've stacked essences all the way up. And I mean, wow. First of all, you know, I question, is it really effective? Is it only for soloing? Um, and you resort to something else for when you're healing in a group. Uh, of course, you'll be very strong and hard to kill. But you know, how effective will your healing be without, you know, without focusing on some of the other traits and making yourself more well-rounded? Or is it only for soloing? In that case, really, you collected 28 supreme essences of morale just for solo gear, uh, and you probably have another set for your for your grouping gear. So kind of crazy. Um, you know, I've gotten maybe. I don't know, five or six of the Supreme Essences of Morale across all my tunes ever. So somebody knows how to farm these things or they've been gaming the game somehow or doing something. I don't know, but uh, I was pretty amazed. Um, you know, I'd like to buff up my healing, my morale a little more, my mini, but I feel like she's in a good place and she can hang with most groups and uh, heal just fine. Um but let me know what you think uh, mini, mini morale should be. That's one of the questions I see most often in game. I have a fully geared X class. What should my morale be? And actually, recently, I've been working on my guard morale to get it up over 30K because I started to feel, although I felt sturdy enough, you know, I don't want anyone judging me by not having at least kind of that base level threshold because I have seen a lot of guards running around with close to 40K morale, and now I know how. Uh, my cappy. Uh, the fashionable um, got in on a really professional Dome of Stars run a couple weeks ago. Uh, so uh, these people knew what they were doing. They've run together. They obviously have done the instance, uh, you know, a dozen times. So they taught me, you know, I'm going to absorb a little more of this each time I go with a polished group. That uh, basically, if you're very careful with your pathing in the early part of the instance, you can avoid almost all trash mobs, almost all the way, except for like one or two groups, by kind of skirting the walls and running over these piles and uh, proceeding along a specific route, you can avoid almost all the trash mobs, which really speeds things up. Then, when we got to the Dome of Stars itself, um, uh, I don't know if this is an exploit or if it's just a strategy, but the first time I did this instance, we had to find the two wardens on the different floors and get their keys in order to be able to get into the final instance. These guys ran through the ground floor maze without having to get any warden keys. They hugged the wall, they ran up the stairs, and they got into the final boss instance without having to do any of the warden keys. So I don't know if that's legit or not. <laughs> Doesn't seem like it would be intended, but I haven't heard anyone say you can't do it, and I'm actually surprised that they were able to run through and not get the keys so uh, you know it sounds like something maybe turbine has to fix uh, but um, it certainly does speed up the instance and get you to the final boss battle more quickly so the boss fight went super smooth a couple things to remember from the run that I recall uh, first of all uh, when when the Nazgul calls down the uh, the ads upon you, I think one after up to four of them, one after the other. There's one ad that you you can't kill. You have to leave alive. I think to get challenge mode. And our group kept Gorathal up, uh, which means you have to watch your AOE around the Nazgul. If you kill Gorathal, you'll get in trouble. Uh, so basically, single target only. And uh, there, are ex there are ads that come in that when you kill them explode. Um, so basically you have to learn when those guys show up to kite them away from the group and kill them at range so that they don't explode in front of the group. Uh, 
You have to keep your corruption removals up on the boss in tier 2 challenge mode or they will get out of control. And if you have the eye, you have to run away from the group. And uh, with those simple precepts in mind, we took him down fairly easily and earned four mortal crests from that run. I think 20 are needed for each piece of five-slotted armor. Um, I've gotten Morgul Crest from other things, but I don't have a lot, don't have enough to even buy my first piece of five-slotted armor. I think if I ever got, uh, once I decide to join a kin um, in Landreville, and I'm starting to think more and more that that move is imminent, hoping to find some people that are experienced on these runs and maybe generate a few more and get at least a few pieces of that five-slotted armor for some of my tunes. I can't see grinding all these enough to get it for all of my level 100s, but maybe for you know a piece or two for each of them uh, would be reasonable. My lore master has completed the epic line all the way through the two big battles for the class trade points in Minas Tirith. Uh, bought me some big battle jewelry. I think... Uh, I found the two-piece set that gives you 5% on tactical attacks for having two pieces equipped. It's not bad. I'll take it. Um, and I'm trying to remember. So I have some tombs that have opened up the dailies on the Ramus North and South, and some that haven't. So my, my lore master hasn't. And I'm trying to figure out what quests he needs to complete in Denorian to open those up. Uh, you know, my captain and guard were more completionist and I just noticed they were ready. The first time I went to do it on my lore master, I didn't see the rings and I'm trying to figure out what I left open that I need to complete in order to get back and do that. So, hmm, have to look into that a little bit more. Uh, besides that, my lore master, I've been looking for Thorgrun. Um, there is a sword that drops in the Thorgrun. If you, uh, if you do the the run, the instance for the first time that day, you get access to the main chest. After that, you only get the marks and medallions, I believe. Uh, but uh, at least once a day, you can access the main chest. And one of the things that drops out of there is a really nice uh, sword for a lore master. And so I've been trying to run one instance of Thorog a day when I have a chance with my lore master, just in the uh, chance that I can grab that sword. I've seen it drop when I had other tunes in that run, but not my lore master, unfortunately. So. Hoping to find that soon. Uh, so I was doing a well-run group for Thorog this week, and one thing I noticed is um, this: I hadn't seen this before. the The lead, um, you know, of the raid would send a subgroup of three to four people down to the right-hand side to kill Cold Bear, Cold Bear, for the extra marks, and that was all they did. They were shut out of the main instance. They weren't part of the fight against Thorog, but their mission each run was to run down and kill Cold Bear for the extra marks and medallions you earned for that run, and that is a way to maximize the return for everybody in the instance. Um, so if I lead any Thorog runs, I'll be sure to do that or suggest it for others that are doing it uh, because it is pretty easy. You can do it with three characters sometimes at about the same speed as everyone else is killing Thorog. Uh, four makes it uh, super simple. Um, my Berg has been, did a Pell run and got a Supreme Essence of Vitality. Uh, she has started the Minas Tirith Epic line, so she is the next tune in, in that line to earn those class trade points. My Hunter 100, I've had some activity on, a little bit more on this later. And my champ was level 43 when last he spoke, and I decided to make a push to get that tune up into the level range where he could get involved in Angmar raids and instances, as well as hopefully Moria raids and instances in the short term. So I've been focusing on my champ of late. You know, being in the low 40s is kind of useless. So I've been doing all kinds of crazy stuff with them, like... 
you know, it's like, where should I start up again? Well, that's a good thing about Lotrof. You're not sure where to start up again? Go back to the Epic, and it'll soon point you to content that's your level. So I've been doing crazy stuff like exploring the Southern Trollshaws, lifting barrels in caves, uh, finding horse carcasses, fighting alongside Legolas and Gimli, exploring the Heligod Treasury, getting my them on, doing some clue clathination. Uh, another instance of the Karn Doom Hide Key, and uh, moseying my way down to Moria to uh, grab my first legendary items and open up the gates. Uh, so my class quests are done. A couple comments on the class quest for champs. I've got most of these items laid by in my housing. Um, probably don't need to now they're at skirmish camps, but I have them anyway, so I just keep them. They take up some storage space, but it's not terrible. Uh, one of the items I didn't have a lot of that you needed as a champ is a bubbling droplet, which drops from the um, the big slugs in Eastern Malahad and Angmar. So I was like, okay, I'm going out and farm some slugs. I've been down by Gable Shather anyway, and uh, you know there's stuff to do in that area on my level. So I start grinding slugs in Eastern Malahad, and the first couple don't drop anything. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I'm in the wrong area. Then I finally got one to drop a bubbling droplet. Okay, okay, there's one. So the drop rate's not great. You don't get one from every one you kill, maybe every third or fourth. So then I killed another three slugs, and I finally got another droplet. Except, except it was a corrosive droplet, not a bubbling droplet. <laughs> it's not the kind I need. So I'm like, well, how often does that happen? So I killed another two slugs, corrosive droplet. Another two slugs, corrosive droplet. So I'm, I started reading up about this in the forums to see if it was a bug. And apparently not only do the slugs not drop a droplet every time you kill one, it's a random chance, corrosive droplets appear to drop more frequently than bubbling droplets. So I'm getting to the point where I'd killed 10, 11 slugs and gotten one out of the 15 I needed. And at that point I decided it's, uh, <laughs> it's time to cut my losses and head to the skirmish camp. So that's an annoying thing that, you know, if they want people to actually grind this stuff instead of just buying them every time they should fix. Um, I killed a signature goblin in Malinhad and a snowworm drakeling in four shell up by the bitter stairs within my, within my, view from here from the Heligod Treasury uh, to finish off my class quests. And one of the items I didn't have, I had most of the, the big items that come out of Karndum and Urugarth, except for one, a war insignia from Urugarth, I think it was. So I sent Bragg in to save the day into Urugarth, and um, heck, you know, I was feeling strong, essence gear full, level 100, haven't run Urugarth in a while on him, but I used to grind it pretty commonly. So let me give this a shot. Um, so I ran from the entrance to Urugarth all the way across the bridge and into the first area, uh, basically to a gate where you can't run anymore until you kill the first sub-boss. And I then proceeded to slaughter everything that had followed me. It's probably like 50, 50 mobs. And <laughs> so then the gates pop open, and I'm like, you know, haven't done this before, but let me see how far I can get into the instance. So Grugwok is... Uh, you run to Urugarth, is basically as deep into the instances you can get, all the way downstairs and across the bridge to the big castle, and then there's a little road that goes down to the left that opens up into an arena where you have to go to get the, the key that gets you in the secret door uh, of Urugarth by uh, Lugrian instead of going in the front door, because if you go in the front door, you'll get bum-rushed on level. Not good. Um, 
So basically, I ran from the upstairs platform all the way down through every mob I could find, all the way across the bridge, and entered into the door where you get bum rushed. And uh, so I had like, you know, 10 trolls. Uh, I, I could not count the number of mobs that were on the screen. It was maybe the largest single collection of NPCs I'd ever fought before in my entire life. And let me tell you, it was darn close. I hit uh, just about every cooldown I had. Uh, I hit every every po you know every healing skill that I had, and I hit uh, you know every uh, AOE skill I had in Redline to get bleeds back, and uh, I still came very very close to dying near the end uh, before I got control of the situation. But let me tell you, it was a heck of a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I wish I was streaming this right now. People would be like, oh, this is so cool. Uh, it was a pretty epic fight. So there's still challenge to be had in some of these other instances. You just have to push the edge of the envelope and see how far you can go. Uh, so after burning down, I don't know, 70 mobs uh, in the throne room there, I went down to the arena and killed Gruglock and got my last item for uh, for my champion. And I call that Uragarth in two poles. Uh, so my champion went through the Moria Prologue and has actually been in Zelamelech, uh, Dolvenview, Silvertine Loads, uh, 21st Hall, and is now at level 49. So basically, I feel qualified to join Karn Doom, Uragarth, and, uh, and Rift Runs at this point, which is great. And if by doing those I get a couple more levels, then I'll be ready for instances in Moria, such as the Forgotten Treasury, and heading into some of the lower level ones like Grand Stairs. So my plan for my champ is to maybe grind just a little bit more until level 50, and then basically to park them there and try to run as many instances around the 50 to 65 levels as I can, and just uh, level that way and enjoy that, because that was kind of the goal of why I was... Uh, raising the champ up to begin with. Um, it's great to be back in Moria again as a champion first time. Um, it's also allowed some page farming uh, progress there. I only have one page left on one of my books. And I'm hopeful you know, it'll come in Moria if I give it time. Uh, I had to go through and reorganize my heart bar, heart bar as I gained some skills. And uh, what I've done is I've kind of spread them out between single target versus AOE skills. Um, I find it I need to organize a bit better because the champ bar is basically all red. <laughs> there are a couple other skills you get, but not many. It's like a smorgasbord of DPS skills. Uh, so I am starting to get into a rhythm as a champion and figure out how far I can push uh, with the AOE line. Uh, I am running in Yellow Storm. Uh, that seems to be one that I'm enjoying the most right now and the one that seems to be people think are most popular. Uh, I'm working on uh, my class skill deeds as I can, so hitting all the, the ones, uh, even when they're not needed in combat, uh, that advance some of my class deeds, like the Champion's Challenge and... Uh uh, I think Heroic, Mighty Heroics or something like that, and a few others that I can just sprinkle in to my DPS rotation to keep those moving along. Uh, basically, I'm, I did run three runs of Barrett Gularon for Deeds uh, with a couple 100s. <laughs> basically, me and one other guy were on level. We are getting some good loot for our level, and everyone else was just doing it for Deeds. So look out for those. Um, if you run like in between three and six runs of Barrett Gularon, you can, you can clear that place of Deeds, and you can get some nice drops like some tombs for pets and, and some other things that are useful if you're close to low. Um, and I'm learning the rhythm of living on the edge of dual-wielded knives. 
besides that, Meyer Case 41, Warden 32, not much happening there. Warden still sitting on Villy. I logged into him the other day, went on Unite and went on World Chat and yelled, hello, 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 and got no response. So we'll see how much longer he's there. I think they said uh, end of March or end of April, somewhere in there. Once Vilia is closed down, I will move him across to Landrival, and that will be the end of that chapter. Looking forward to that. All right. Jeez, I had so much going on in game. It's been so long since I talked to you. But let's move on to our next beacon. Ah, someone's calling for a Dragok run in game. Still have not done that with my burglar. Leveled a burglar. Originally started leveling a burglar originally when Dragok came out. It looked like fun to finally trigger FMs that mattered for a while at least. Oh well, I'll get him in one of those runs at some point. Uh, I got too many beacons to light. I got too many beacons. I'm at Erelos and it is ablaze, thankfully. So at Erelos, I want to talk a little bit about the hunter at level 100. Um, and I like to call this episode. Six on one side, half a dozen the other, because um, hunters are a dime a dozen, and uh, now I have one, I guess. What am I saying? I don't know. Listen, he completed all his West Rohan um, class trade points, so that was where my hunter was focused back when, from level 93 onward, I was grinding West Rohan, made it through the broad stroke, uh, broad acres, made it through Stoke, made it through Middlemead, made it through uh, the West Fold, and the Helm's Deep, and the East Fold, got all those class trade points, and um, boy, those are <laughs> still very grindy class trade points to get. Um, did the Helm's Deep big battles later on down the road and thank goodness I got some partners to help on those with duo so I actually got some decent points out of executing them even for just the first time and uh, I reached uh, level 100 somewhere while saving Grimbjorn on the Fords of Eisen as part of the West Rohan quest line out of Grimslade and um, I'm running my uh, running my hunter in yellow line and finding survivability pretty decent surprisingly even in a dangerous area like the, the big, busy camp in the Stone Deans, Mad Fushan, um, being slightly over-leveled may have helped, but generally speaking, pretty survivable. So I'm on to Central Gondor for more class trade points. Uh, Western Gondor I basically largely skipped. Uh, running in yellow line, what are some of the pros? First of all, as Maven said, I like it when someone scares the trap out of you. Uh, you can get a trap laid on the ground randomly on any evade, uh, one every eight seconds, and they do pop up pretty, pretty frequently. Uh, yellow line is an active line. Uh, you don't stand still like a statue in Pew Pew, but it's not exactly like being in fleet stance. It's more point to point. A little bit of combat, lay some traps, move back, uh, let, open it up again until your opponents can get up to you. Uh, do some more delaying skills or slowing skills, get some more room, a little bit more point-to-point. -point. Um, you do get plus six stealth detection in the line, which uh, certainly helps in the moors, and if you're so interested and inclined to go there with your hunter. Uh, you get 
about 25% increase on your damage over time damage skills, which is uh, you know certainly adds up. So maybe not the quick burst DPS, but uh, you know but helps helps with a lot of um, damage over time skills and buff skills. The deadly decoy skill that you get is awesome. So for those of you who are non-hunters, if you see a hunter in a red line drop a scarecrow in the middle of the battle, and all the mobs turn around and start fighting the scarecrow, and then after like six or seven seconds, it explodes in their faces and does damage to everybody. So this is, you know, they they gave you the cry of the hunter skill, which is basically a you know a massive stun everyone around you and give you a speed buff so you can get away and trouble skill. Um, you know, on top of what you already had, Desperate Flight, now you've got the Deadly Decoy, which at least for NPCs, um, you know, it's kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card if you're bum-rushed by three, four, five guys at a time. You lay that down, they all get to it, you can either escape or you can basically DPS them down and lay traps and get ready for when they when they do free up. So it's, uh, it's a very handy skill to have. Uh, the one true trap skill is great. There's a big bleed and it puts a 30% slow on multiple targets. It's a great way to, to start a fight. And then there's a 45 second cooldown, so you can usually use it again by the end of the fight. Uh, if there's multiple mobs, I really like using low cut for multi-target multi melee slow with a good chance at a bleed. Uh, about a third of every hit with it uh, creates a bleed uh, based on the legacy that you can get. Uh, minor legacy on your weapon. Uh, your remove poison impacts the fellowship wide instead of just yourself, which is a skill I always enjoyed in Hunters. Uh, more people should learn to look out for poisons in their fellowship and use that skill because bad Hunters will forget to employ it. Uh, there's no loss of focus on movement or very little, uh, which is similar to the blue line. Uh, if you put down a piercing trap, which is the little snakehead one, um, it gives... Uh, it gives uh, reflect damage basically uh, to everybody that's uh, that gets hit by it. It's not huge, but it's helpful. In general, there's lots of little buffs and benefits that make you more durable in melee, including slows. And I think it's a little, it has a little more versatility, which makes it more fun to play for me. So what are the cons of the yellow line? Well, it requires you to get a little closer with the uglies for max effectiveness. And I know some people playing hunters uh, don't want that. That's the reason they chose the class. Um, you can't just backwards kite while blasting, which you can do in blue line, so it's a little bit different strategy. Uh, there's a LI legacy of 10% trap damage, which is kind of required if you're going to run in this line, but not very useful if you change lines to something else. Uh, then your trap damage skill basically does almost no benefit. Um, so there's lots of targeting skills in this line. So what's targeting skill? It's the one where you click and you get the big uh, you get the big target. You can move along the ground. You can ground target something away from you. And uh, so there's three or four skills that you use that have ground targeting. And what I find is on the, in the battle, you have to learn how to use those effectively. If you click on it and move it too quickly, you actually move the skill off your hotbar instead of moving the little target along the ground. So I find in fights sometimes at the end of the fight, I'll lose like two or three of those skills if I'm not paying attention because I'll move them off my skill bar accidentally so you need to kind of there's a just a little mini pause after you click it before you engage the ground targeting that you have to get used to um, and also I noticed that uh, trap damage does not scale with uh, legacy uh, legendary item improvements 
So, you know, if your legendary DPS is improving, generally that will improve the damage you do with all your skills that use that weapon. But if you're using a lot of trap damage, your trap damage doesn't scale as your DPS of your weapon scales. So, um, they will have to figure out a way to address that. Um, and lastly, the being in the trap line does not have the explosive crit your group might be looking for against a single target when they bring a hunter on board to fellow. So, uh, a couple questions I have still about the class, and I haven't done a lot of research on this. I'm wondering, with the revamping of aggro mechanics uh, in, you know, when they redid the skill trees, is it still necessary to switch to endurance or precision stance anymore when grouping, or can you stay in strength and depend on not pulling aggro? I, I, I hope it still makes a difference, but uh, I'm not certain about it. And similarly, how about the threat down uh, legendaries? I put one of my item out of uh, habit, but are they still required? So I'm using one, but I'm not sure how to quantify the impact anymore. I hate to give up a legendary item slot that could increase DPS if it's not necessary, but uh, I put it on out of uh, ignorance, figuring better safe than sorry, because uh, the one thing you don't want to do as a hunter is pull aggro and group activity unless you're really ready for it. All right, um, so I revised my eyes with my LIs finally at level 100 for my hunter with a little bit of compromise. First of all, I only got a second age 100 level bow at this point. Um, I'll do some some uh, roving threats uh, at some point and earn another first age symbol to generate that for the hunter. But right now, I was happy with the second age 100. It's a huge upgrade over where I was before. I could still imbue it, no big deal. Um, and for my sword, uh, I got an Elder King, uh, symbol of the Elder King for level 95 in a big battle. And I was like, what the heck, I'll make a first stage 95 sword. It'll probably be almost as good as a first stage 100 sword. Um, and it allowed me to use a bunch of level 95 scrolls and stuff that would otherwise be wasted because I wasn't creating any more of those. So I had a uh, scroll of delving and a couple of scrolls of empowerment, etc. that were all level 95 that could be used in level 100 items. So I, I built a first age 95 um, sword and I'm using it for now. And I was able to get rid of all those scrolls using that. So I, no I did notice for the hunter, this is kind of cool, that roving threat vendors have both uh, weapon first age weapons uh, like swords and bows available for barter. So hunter's one of those classes where both legendaries are actually weapons. Um, you know most other classes the class item is like a rune or a belt or you know a bag of tools. But for the hunter, uh, your your first one you know is your bow is your bow and then you can have a sword or a club or a mace or whatever in your other one. So actually um, the roving threat hunter has. Uh, first age weapons for bows and for weapons that you can get from that vendor for running roving threats. So I imagine that's how I'll build out my hunter build eventually. So why did I level a hunter to level 100 when I, almost, when I would almost typically rather use any other class in a group? Uh, hunters being dime a dozen. Well, I think Hunter was maybe the second or third class that I ever created in Lotro, just to be different from the guard. And, you know, I felt bad abandoning her, so I usually moved her along the leveling train. It is a nice change of pace to have that kind of DPS and to have all the travel skills. It makes it easy to level. Certainly, there's a completionist mindset of getting more classes along the road to level 100. 
And, you know, if I do work on her a bit and top her out, she could still be more single target ranged effective than a lore master, certainly a Berg, or maybe even a minion war speech when a group wants a DPS uh, skill uh, class for, for group content. So, um, mounted combat is also pretty easy uh, for Hunter with almost all ranged skills. And with my sixth tune at level 100, I'm generally going to have overlap in class needs anyway. So, you know, is that really the point? You know, I already had DPS covered if somebody needed it. But uh, with lower priority on her gear, she's probably destined for maybe lesser challenging content like um, soloing, PvE, running skirmishes, roaming threats, warbands, even RP. Or over-level jerking, whatever the case may be. Um, but uh, you know, we'll probably get less instance hardcore instance love than the other classes. So now it's on to the the four classes remaining that I do not have at level 100: Bjorning, Champ, RK, and Warden, and probably in that order, I imagine, based on my level of interest. Um, there is an issue of having more tunes at level cap versus at varying stages of leveling. I always enjoyed having a few tunes in the 30s, a few in the 40s, a few in the 50s, a few in the 70s, so I could experience different areas of content based on where I felt like leveling. And so now with the preponderance of tunes at level 100, it is going to make it redundant when new content comes out. Uh, but I've still got four at low level, four at lower levels, which is okay. It's dwindling, but it's still okay for now. You know that problem may only be solved by either new classes being introduced to the game, which I think is unlikely at this point. Uh, doing duplicates, uh, new alts of classes I've already leveled to 100. Meh, can't think I'll do that. Or maybe uh, building up a class on a new server, and my interest level for that may or may not be there. Or there's always creeping, I guess. Speaking of which, I've been creeping. Making a push for rank 6 with my war leader. Uh, starting to get some better maps. Boy, the ones in the lumber camp and ice and deep mines are hard and long. Just not that many quests to do in those two areas. And I uh, did notice that my war leader is finally, you know, probably the most DPS challenged of any class in, uh, in PvP, which is a little frustrating early on. But he's starting to at least burn down NPCs a little faster when I'm grinding for quests. Uh, I did spend 5,000 comms on another rank of Audacity, so he's through all the cheap Audacity ranks, and now all the new ones are 5,000 apiece, which are coming a bit more costly. So, uh, who knows? Maybe Creep will be the next class that I level significantly. But, it is cool to have six level 100s. Um, it's a little less than one a year for the years I've been playing, but uh, you know I do have my Bjorning at level 90, which if I really concentrated on them might be soon joined. So uh, it's fun. I like the variety. I know a lot of people don't like to do the the content with multiple tunes, but I do think it changes the complexity and the challenge, especially for instances. So I enjoy it, and that's my review of the Hunter at level 100. I'm sure many of you have them out there and can tell me more about it. But that's what I've learned through that process. And with that, we'll move on to our fifth beacon. We are at Min Rimon, the original Word From Our Sponsor segment, and in honor of our next beacon, we return to featuring our two most venerated sponsor segments. Firstly, this episode of Light the Beacons is brought to you by Barrow Bree. Barrow Bree, and you thought Velveeta was bad for you. Dry Barrow Bree in your mac and cheese, it makes a hobbit tummy fill up with glee and poison. 
and by Thornley's Construction Company. At Thornley's, we strive to ensure that everything we build is done with maximum quality. And sometimes perfection just takes a little bit longer. Hire us for your next job, and we guarantee you'll be a customer for life. Thornley's Construction Company, serving the Northern Breefield community endlessly for over eight years. We are at the Beacon of Callanhad, and now the segment that some of you have been waiting for and some of you have probably been dreading. It's the second chapter of Drunk Middle Earth Oil. <laughs> already been drinking. Middle Earth Lore, Chapter 2, Bree Sotted. And uh, in order to perform this, uh, this next segment correctly, I've got to go do some shots of uh, Dwarven Liqueur. Maybe some, uh, excuse me, some Elvish stuff, some Hobbit stuff. It's all good. I've got to go lubricate, basically. So I'll be back in a couple minutes. Grima, you get the board ready, and uh, pretty soon we'll start on this next epic chapter of Drunk Middle Earth Lore. Grima, start the recording. Start, start, I said start at, start, start, you idiot. Oh, all right, he says it's running. You guys remember how this works? Okay, so well, this is how it works. You got to find the video out on Andang's channel. It's on YouTube. Drunk, mid, uh, just Middle Earth Lord. He didn't write the drunk part. That's my part. Drunk, uh, j no, j not the drunk part. Just Middle Earth Lore, uh, Chapter 2, Bree. You got to find the video. And when I say go, I'll, you know what? I'll do the beacon lighting. I'll do the beacon lighting thing, and that means start the video. And then you got to listen to my part over his part, and it, like, makes it funnier and stuff. I hope – well, I'm going to tell you the real story. I, you don't get – you know, those guys do a lot of research, but I don't think, you know, they know the whole thing is like I know it. I mean, you know, I lived it, so – you gotta check my part, and uh, I'm gonna be doing some more drinking. Mm. That's good stuff. All right, so when I hit the thing, Grammy, do you, do you get the thing? You're recording, aren't you? You better be recording. You idiot! I hate that guy. Yeah, he's kind of fun, but all right. So here it comes. I'm gonna hit the sword thing, and then you gotta play the thing. You ready? Three. Two, one. Okay. No, Brax, quiet. All right. So there's fighting and it's a woo high five. And there's the hobbits in the Shire, dwarves, woo. And then the bad Balrog, woo. We hate him. And then Gandalf looking wisely at a distance. Drunk Middle Earth lore. That's us. And this is chapter two. Bree-sodded, I call it. See, it's supposed to be sodded. So, chapter two, Electric Boogaloo. So, last time out, we covered the Shire, which was cute and all, but meanwhile, back in Manland, where stuff actually matters, people wear shoes, there was the village of Bree. Now, you may ask yourself why Bree was so important, and you'd be right to ask that question. Well, why did anybody ever stay there? Huh? Tell me that. Instead, it was kind of more like a stop on a pub crawl on the way to places that actually matter, like Rivendell and Gondor and Isengard, where that no good Grimer guy lived. 
This place was so important, they protected it with a hedge. A hedge! Not a wall of freaking shrubbery. We place it here only slightly higher, we get a two-level effect with a little path running down the middle. The path, the path! The rangers were supposedly protecting it. They wouldn't even live in it. It stank so bad, so they made their own place in a much nicer view right next to a cemetery. So, um, the Breelanders worship pigs. You saw the fountain. This is the culmination of all their decades of tradition, culture, and refinement. And when the Northern Kingdoms collapsed, Bree survived because most people forgot it was even there. So, Bree became famous because it was the center of the two important crossroads, Addison and Sheffield. It's kind of like a mini-mart that had 72-ounce big gulps. you got to stop, right? You just have to. So they invented smoking pipe weed. Yeah, right. And when they realized, wow, we're eating all these cheese doodles, that's not good. They gave it to the hobbits to take to the shire, and that's why the hobbits always have the munchies and stuff. So um, now the only place to really hang out in the whole town was this rundown old shack called the Prancing Pony. <laughs> and they had a cool sign, so they got some business by default. They tried to franchise it, but it never sold. And business wasn't great until the owner figured out he could cram extra hobbits in each room and double his revenues. But that backfired him when they started showing up at his all-you-can-eat breakfast buffets and Thursday dollar beer nights. Look, one drunk hobbit drank all that stuff and threw up on an RP minstrel trying to sing green sleeves to a packed house. <laughs> so the Nazgul is like a health inspector showed up and he meant business. And he was joined by building inspectors and tax collectors, union bosses, county clerks, and all the legislative the credit of the place, big government, and so forth. Most of them were looking for tax shelters and pension plans and government loopholes, maybe a magic ring that could rule the fate of the world. So that's when the hobbits showed up again, causing trouble. They were like, you know, first of all, there was a guy that was like, nah, you're not coming in here. And they're like, please. And he's like, okay, you can go. So they walked their ponies through the streets of Bree, like anyone does that, everyone runs. No one walks their ponies. And... If you like barley and butter bean, these creepy little guys start waving at you and like you'd be like, okay, just don't eat me, please, little savages. So you notice the whole place cleared out because they were terrified of these creepy little people who would eat more than their own body weight. Especially when they started dancing on tables like they were in a Broadway show. Uh, dude, there's no music. No one else is dancing. Oh, nice editing there. I know Photoshop when I see it. So then Aragon showed up and tried to talk some sense into these idiots before they, like, destroyed the world with their hijinks. And they pretty much trusted him right away after, like, knowing him for, like, 15 minutes. I mean, if he was really a bad guy, he would look like a fowler and smell fair or something, something like that. He stank. Um, so let's go on an adventure with him because that's what hobbits do. That's at least the Baggins is, is do that. So Noob fetched the hobbit and brought him back to the pony to go play some uh, Twister in the common room. But in the end, the Black Riders scared away the horses, because good plan, you know. So then enters the hero of our tale, local legend Bill Fernie, upstanding citizen and part-time scoundrel. 
he once did the Kessel Run in like 12 parsecs. So you can see Cham Sam chose this particularly appropriate moment, time to take up animal husbandry, and typical of Tolkien's, start another cross-racial love affair, modeled after Baron Lutheran. I know how the people talked. So Bree started immediately getting cooler after the hobbits left. These clubs popped up with these goth chicks and their seeing eye dogs. And they used to have these awesome concerts. People would hang out in the mosh pit. So they're mosh pitting there. And you can see people are looking around. But, you know, the, the prancing pony was empty because, you know, no mosh pits. Boring. So the hobbits moved in and tried to buy low and scare off Butterbean. Booga, booga, booga. Booga, booga, booga. But he wouldn't sell. He decided to stick around, try to build out those new franchises we were talking about using Thornley's construction company. Big mistake. He's currently bankrupt. So in the next episode, we're going to get away from these holes in the ground and head shanty towns and go someplace cool with dwarves. Woohoo! The Blue Mountains. That'll be awesome. It's finally moving someplace cool. And there's just like all the people that worked on Middle Earth lore. Um, there's all these buttons you can press. This is confusing. I don't get it. Uh, but you can like do stuff. And then there's all the people that worked on this. Uh, the scene coordinator and the Tommy Orcs. And then there's the Boar Fountain Pipe Club. And Carvet's a man, apparently. And um, Pine Leaf is a Frodo. What? Uh, and then the Lonely Mountain Bang. They're cool. I like them people. Some of these people are must be in the Screen Acting Guild. They get multiple things. And they're ripping off Mythgard Institute. I guess they helped. I don't know. Maybe write the script. But that's like pretty much the whole video. And uh, thanks for listening. And and I think I'm going to go throw up. So tune in next time for Chapter 3. If there is a Chapter 3. And uh, I hope it's funnier than this one. Talk to you soon. Uh, recording a bit later after I've recovered from my indiscretions, it's time for Blessed Relief. That brings us to the end of the 49th episode of Light the Beacons. Coming up on the Big 5-0, it is going to be huge, huge guest stars, special segments, retrospectives. It's just, it's going to be huge. I mean, you guys know when I say I'm going to do something, you know, I, I do it big, right? So, yeah. Um, I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at braggsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for Avada Kedavra. Facebook or Twitter at braggsonofbalan or my website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcasts. I kind of request you take the time to create an iTunes review. If perchance you were so inclined, I would very much appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forego my legendary Dwarven hangover, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. So I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before, especially about the town of Bree. I perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different and altered perspective. Most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle-earth. That's what it's all about, isn't it, folks? This is Bragg, son of Balin, signing off. Baruch Kazad. And remember, the next time you come upon the crossroads between the Greenway and the Great East Road, and your directions tell you to head directly south to Enidwaith, don't despair. Light the beacons. <laughs>